0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, it is a privilege and a blessing to be here again um, studying practical theology. How do you apply scripture to these different topics in life? And today I would say um, this topic in particular is very dear to my heart because I was, um, and I think I still struggle with some of these topics, um, this day, but it was a very helpful um, time when I just started seeing this in scripture, uh, reading different books. So as a good librarian, I feel like I'm a book sale here. with so many books that I brought to show you today. Uh, this uh, book in particular has been partic- uh, very, very helpful um, in speaking of the fear of man. So we the title of our class today is "Fear of Man, Social Anxiety, and Human Rejection." So this book—it's uh, called "When People Are Big and God It Small" by Ed Welch—overcoming peer pressure, codependence, and the fear of man. Another one that I haven't read in all of its uh, content—it's "Pleasing People" by Lou Priolo. Um, How Not to Be an Approval Junkie. And I think these we have in the library, at least these two, they're key. (coughs) And you can find probably some booklets in this topic. So, uh, Common and Prevalent, Um, this one is also by Ed Welch. It's Shame Interrupted, Um, How God Lifts the Pain of the Worthless and Rejection. And then more recently, I found these, this one. Um, Suspicion, How to Overcome Paranoid Thinking by Lupriolo. It's a little booklet, but very, very helpful. In our lesson today, we'll have some of his um, thoughts there, uh, some of his uh, biblical illustrations for all of these topics. So it's a a huge topic, it's related to anxiety that we um, discussed last week, but it's kind of a different type of anxiety. It's particularly relating to people and how they relate to us. And so I'm, I'm excited. I hope that I'm able to cover everything that we have planned for today. Because uh, next, next week, we're going to start a new topic. It will be depression, sadness, and grief. So um, <clears throat> if we don't get covered, we'll continue next week. All right, how about we start um, in prayer? Our gracious Lord, we are so thankful that you have have come to give us salvation, to give us a new life, uh, to give us courage with all our fears. Um, In Christ, you have redeemed us from our fears and anxiety, but yet, Lord, we struggle with our flesh. And uh, many a times... um, We have to say no to our overthinking, overanalyzing situations. And I pray, Father, that you would convict us as we approach Scripture and um, see our need for fearing you above all things, even over those who are closest to us. I pray, Father, that you would encourage us, um, bring transformation, and maybe today will be they start of a new path for some of um, us here. We're thankful and ask your blessing for our time here, studying your word, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, as I normally do, I try to give you a perspective on how the world defines these problems, how they uh, describe it, and so I brought with me the, the DSM, it's the, what they call the Bible of Psychology, and some of these, um, I, and I call here the DSM constructs. Constructs, why? Because this is not really a diagnosis that you come to a lab and you physical examination. Um, as I mentioned in our first class on anxiety, even though you will see physical signs of the fight and flight um, in some of, you know, when people are having these anxiety attacks, um, it's it really not something that you can quantify unless uh, connected to some diseases or some medications that might uh, cause your heart rate to go up or all, all these different things. So, uh, so they try to describe what people are struggling, right? So the one that is more common is social anxiety disorder. And I have made mention of this one before even in our in last year. Talking about how, um, especially in high schools, this is being just shoved down the throat of kids. Um, you have social anxiety, you have a disorder, you need treatment. Um, and, you know, as, far, as much as we sympathize and we want to be an encouragement, we don't believe that the solution is to fill um, up people with drugs and uh, making them dependent. It's kind of interesting that most m- m- anxiety medications actually increase the possibility of anxiety. Well, oh, they're supposed to be treating this and yet we're having some um, issues connected to it. So I'm gonna read to you straight from the DSM what they describe um, and when you get your notes there you will see um, but I, I didn't copy all of the criteria, but I co- copied the most important ones. So um, here's how you would diagnose someone's social anxiety disorder, or social phobia that was the former name of it. Marked by fear or anxiety about one or most social situ- more social situations in which the individual is exposed to possible scrutiny by others. Examples include social interactions, for example, having a conversation, meeting unfamiliar people, being observed, eating or drinking, and performing in front of others, for example, giving a speech. And I don't know about you, but if, I, I would say if I would ask a raise of hands here, don't do it, in this room, I would say most of you would have this kind of anxiety related to these situations. In children, the anxiety must occur um, in peer settings or just not just during the interactions with the adults. Criteria, criterion B. The individual fears that he or she will act in a way or show anxiety symptoms that will neg- be negatively evaluated. Um, it will be humiliating or embarrassing. It will lead to rejection or offend others. These criterion C, the social situations almost always provoke fear and anxiety. Uh, in children, the fear and anxiety may be expressed in crying or tantrums or freezing or clinging, shrinking, or falling, uh, failing to speak in social situations. Criteria D, the social situations are avoided or endured with intense fear or anxiety. And then the criteria E is their magic formula. The timing, right? It's the six months that they come up very randomly. So, for most of these, um, fear, anxiety, and the avoidance is persistent, pr- typically lasting for six months or more. That's their mark. But um, if you come with uh, with a description of these things, they're not going to count. Well, oh, how how long have you been feeling this? We'll so just prescribe something. Unfortunately, so. Um, This is one of the most common, as I said, uh, the social anxiety disorder. There's another one that they have um, there that I thought would be related to the fear of man, and that one is the separation anxiety disorder. And I got this here from a psychologist website, kind of summarized, so I don't have to describe all the symptoms, um, that individuals who have an unusual, Unusually, strong fear or anxiety to separating from people they feel a strong, a strong attachment to. So the diagnosis is given only when the distress is associated with the separation is unusual for individuals for an individual's developmental level. It is prolonged and severe. So normally you would see this with kids, right? You take them to school and they, for the first time, and then don't want to be far away from their moms. They start crying, they have all. This is for adults, so that's why it's unusual. It's because it's not um, corresponding to their developmental stage. Um, You would expect an adult wouldn't feel that that feeling of loss as an adult when they, um, and see some of the examples that he gives here. The need to stay in close proximity to caretakers can make it difficult for children with this disorder to go to school or stay at friends' houses or be in a room by themselves. In adults, it can make normal uh, developmental activities like moving away from home or getting married or being an independent person very difficult. So there you have it. Um, I wanted to... Make mention here, because it. uh, um, So now that you have your notes, I put a little picture in there. Born to uh, to live in social anxiety. Right, I. You know, if there is one common problem that I see in the counseling room, sometimes people don't come necessarily for these issues, but it's often present. It, It is pretty amazing on how it is so connected with fear and the anxiety uh, with being with other people or suffering for the loss of other people that they're not getting, um, that they expected from other people. And I I think about the fall. You know, in Genesis 2, uh, God is describing how he made Adam and Eve and the two of them were naked and they were not ashamed. I think there is more to what is going on there, then just we, we think, oh, well, they're just naked and not ashamed. And now, they f- when they fell, first thing what they did, they sought leaves to cover themselves up. So something went, was wrong in their understanding and perception of each other. And I think the fall has really impacted how we interact with other people. It makes us ashamed, it makes us nervous. Well, the fear of being found out, well, if they only knew who I really am, they would know that I'm a failure, they would know, or I, I am so dependent on this person. So all of our human relationships have been affected by the fall and, and has really changed. So in a sense, I think we're all born, really, with <laughs> this inclination to fear people more than we fear God. All right. Now, what is the regular treatment um, the two approaches is psychotherapy, um, and I'm describing here in particular for um, social anxiety. So psychotherapy, it's basically talk therapy, improves symptoms, and this is their description. I, I got this from um, Mayo Clinic. Improved symptoms in most people is social anxiety. In therapy, you'll learn how to recognize and change negative thoughts about yourself and develop skills to help you gain confidence in social situations. So cognitive behavioral therapy is the most effective type, according to them, of psychotherapy uh, for anxiety. And it can only be effective when it's conducted individually or in groups. Now, mind you, I think I've made an analysis before what cognitive behavioral therapy is. You know, it's when you you inform the person, you change their thinking, therefore affecting their behavior. Um, and you remember that I said, you know, whenever the world gets closer to scripture, they start getting things right. Remember that the scripture talks about us renewing our minds and then putting, on, putting off and putting on. So the one thing is, is, is don't do this for God. It's for self-improvement. So the renew of the mind for them is different. They're, they're informing their mind, but they're not changing their affections. When we talk about change biblically, we involve the affections, who do I love? What is is that that I want? These people are still in love with themselves, wanting to change for their own improvement. So you will hear a lot about self-esteem, trying to improve someone's self-esteem so they're not so as anxious, so they're more confident in themselves. And um, the other factor is setting up boundaries. I'm gonna um, mention this later. But now, those relationships, those toxic relationships that they have in their lives, they can cut it off because it, it's not healthy for them. Um, all right. Then pharmacotherapy is more and more common. Those several types of medications are available. The selective serotonin reuptaking in bitters, or SSRIs are often the type of drug tried for persistent symptoms of social anxiety. The health provider might uh, prescribe paroxetine or Paxil or sertraline, more known as Zoloft. Then there are other types, SNRIs or Velaxin like, some It's kind of interesting saying these names now in English because I spent most of my life <laughs> in them in Portuguese when I was in pharmacy school. And but anyway, so they. You know, a lot of these medications are are used and um, very, very prevalent. It's easy. It's not that hard to get a prescription for these. Um, Good doctors would make a good point of, you know, let's try different things before you put you in this medication. But that's not what the big pharma is encouraging them to do, right? All right. Now, how the Bible defines all of these issues, all these struggles with uh, people, uh, fearing people, anxiety uh, in uh, public places. Um, I think it's helpful for us to uh, reflect on these things, interact with compassion. Because I think if there's one area where an untrained counselor or not a very tactful person can make more damage than help, um, and being insensitive, just because they don't struggle with that, it it, it it's not any, a major issue for them. You know, I had uh, there's this counselee that he he was he was afraid of people. He was um, struggled with the fear of man. And uh, this counselor was very strict and on, on the way he acted with things. And this counselor ended up being anxious every time he had a counseling session. Started having um, heart palpitations, and um, just panic. Seriously, I- in front of this counselor, um, and the counselor says, "You just stop fearing me. Stop fearing me." And the more he said that, the more the counselor feared. <laughs> uh, the, the irony of it all is that he was like, "Well, you shouldn't have a, a doctor check up because it's that's normal. Not normal. Your your heart rate." And I got to the doctor's appointment, and and the doctor was like, well, I I don't think there's nothing wrong with you. Your heart seems um, okay, and um, I I suggest you see a therapist. (laughs) And I was, whoa, that, so I'm just giving this warning that sometimes we want to help people. We also want to be sensitive. We're getting some of this information here, looking at what Scripture says. We also want to be sensitive, so we're not um, making things worse. Uh, We're not going to cater to sin. We're going to call sin, sin. But yet, we want to do that with compassion um, and with care. So I did give you some physical symptoms, but they're very similar to what we've seen last week on anxiety, so I'm not going to spend much time on that. Let's open our Bibles, then, to these scripture passages here that uh, describe some of this. And the way I want to do it, maybe we'll have a few of you uh, reading. And someone can open their Bibles to Proverbs 29, 25. And someone else can uh, go to Psalm 62. And we're looking at verses 8 and 9. Uh, Matthew ten twenty eight, and then Hebrews thirteen six. So we'll have four different um, volunteers to, to read the scripture. So as you find it, um, Bible really described this as a fear of man, um, fear of mankind. Obviously he's not talking about specifically of the male gender, just people that fear males. That, that's not the point. It is uh, fear of mankind, fear of people in general, both male and female, in uh, their influence in their lives. So, other people call these as people pleasing, peer pressure, codependency, being an approval junkie, or uh, the fear of rejection. So, let's um, let's start with Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. Andrew, thank you. So there's a parallel there uh, with the word fear and trust with uh, contrasting results. So um, anytime, sometimes the Bible talks about fear is not just the uh, being scared, you know, it's being awed or showing respect. And uh, the other side of the spectrum is depositing your trust. Uh, many times, it's not that people are scared of others, but they put so much trust in others. That they forgot they forget or neglect the, the trust in God. Alright, Psalm 56, 11. 62, 18, yeah. Sorry. 62 verse 8 and 9. I can do that when we're thank you. Trust in Him at all times, O so people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. Men of low degree are only vanity, and men of rank are alive. And the balances they go. They are together lighter than breath. All right, here's a psalmist is contrasting um, the Lord is our refuge and trusting people that really are not that much significant when you compare with the Lord. So common people are only a vapor. Uh, even the important people, they're just but an illusion. Together on a scale, they're weighs less than vapor. So God is, in contrast to that, he is our secure refuge. He can be trusted at all times. People being va- vaporous, there are unsuitable refugees. Refuge. So, then Matthew 10, 28, um, the Lord Jesus is given an instruction here, because then you can't have those panic attacks, right, where you're afraid of someone killing you or uh, doing some, some harm to you. Matthew 10, 28, Anyone? I agree. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. All right, thank you. So fearing God, because he, he can, is able to deal not only with the physical but also with the spiritual. Right, he, he's the one that we should fear uh, for salvation. He's the one that judges That ultimately knows all our thoughts and all our sins, all our failures, all our weaknesses. That one we should fear, not the ones, they're just like us, mere mortals. Then Hebrews 13, verse six. Hebrews 13, six. Thank you. So the Lord being our helper, we don't fear anything. Now, as as the moment I read these verses, we see clearly. Okay, so fearing people is a sin. Uh, I understand that. I should fear the Lord, not people. Uh, that doesn't give us much instruction. Just say repent. This is sin. All right. It, it, call is what it is. But it, it is on this side of heaven. We will struggle with that temptation. So let's try to understand how, how it starts, and then later we'll address on how then we respond biblically to these challenges. So there is this feeling of anticipation, anticipated rejection, the fear that people will disapprove of us, reject us, or not accept us somehow. There's also the experienced rejection. So the one is anticipation, it didn't happen, but I'm afraid that will happen. But then there's the experience, I have experienced rejection, which refers to the fact that people have disapproved of us, have, dis, have rejected us, or not accepted us. You find this definition at the, our textbook for this class, the Gospel for Disordered Lives. So the most so vital difference, though, between the secular and the biblical perspectives when it comes to analyzing this problem is that from the standpoint of the world, and if you read the DSM, they're just thinking horizontally. It is relationship between people and people. They're not thinking vertically the relationship between people and God. So fear, they fear people more than they fear God, and they fear people instead of God. And given fearing, I'm not just describing this being scared, but I'm also uh, describing putting your trust on someone else other than God unlike the horizontal only label social anxiety, a deeper scriptural diagnosis views fear of people more than God, capturing both the horizontal and vertical dimensions. Um, So we should constantly uh, assess the relationship that people have with God. Uh, Many, many a times I I started talking to people and I just wanted to gauge how's your church attendance? How is your um, Bible reading? but where, did you have any times of meditation? I have just so much going on? I'm like, well, I wonder why. They're, they're so dependent on this human relationship is because their relationship with God is, it is not going very well. Um, so then I have a, a little description there of the most common ways that this is display out. So sometimes it's the avoiding of the dis- your disapproval might matter more to me than gaining your approval. For example, I don't care if you don't like me, I, I just don't want you to hate me. And I'm gonna do everything that I can to not have you hate me. So either I'm gonna sin to get your approval, or I am gonna sin if I don't get it. I'm gonna be frustrated, I'm gonna be moody and um, melancholic or angry. Gaining your approval might uh, might matter more to me than avoiding your disapproval. It's not enough that you don't hate me, I need you to like me. So it's a different uh, way you're thinking. Uh, Another one is positive consequences of your approval might matter more to me than your actual personal approval. So I don't care if you like me or not, just give me the one thing I want from you. For example, a party invitation or a job recommendation. Or, on the other hand, the negative consequences of your disapproval might matter more to me than your actual personal disapproval. I don't care if you like me or not, just don't give me some bad thing that I don't want from you. So spreading gossip about me or job demotion. So one of, one of the things that I, I, I noticed, and that's why I, I found a strong connection between the suspicious thinking, is that a lot, a lot of times, these fears are genuine. People come with, 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 with real fears. They have a, a boss that is, you know, after to get them and, and do something. So some of the fears are genuine. And it's understandable. But yet, that doesn't give us the free card to give in to that and to not trust the Lord in those situations. But sometimes, um, I would say most of the times, is more in their mind that, overthinking and the suspicion. They're always b- expecting the worst case scenario, the worst situation, this is what they're gonna do to me. They're not real. And then there are subtle forms of fearing people, um, caving into fear pressure, fitting into the crowd, or wanting to be only with those that are like us. Well, the Bible gives us a lot of examples of people that have acted um, in the fear of man. For example, Aaron in Exodus chapter 32. It's a passage that's well familiar to us. Exodus 32. uh, And we're looking at verses 22 and 24. How about you open your Bibles there? Exodus chapter 32. So remember when Moses came, um, um, he was in the mountain for 40 days and then People got impatient, they pressured Aaron. We want to see a real God because this God, we cannot see him. We need to see a God like the other nations have physical idols that they worship. So they turned to Aaron and, his, um, and, and they asked him to do that. Aaron made the golden calf. And here's his explanation to why, uh, what uh, he did, why he did what he did. So then Moses said to Aaron, Why did you do these people to you, uh, brought such great sin upon them? And there I said, Do not let your anger, my Lord, burn. You know the people yourself, but they are prone to evil. It's not me. You're evil. But they said to me, Make a God for us, who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has an, any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came the calf. <laughs> um, it, it is pretty amazing how, you know, we read those accounts, and you think about it, you know, Aaron watched the Lord doing all those miracles in Egypt, all those plagues and, and all of that, and yet um, His fear of the people. They can kill me. You know the the worst thing that can happen, they can kill me. I need to cave in into this pressure. Well, we we ought to think, this people can kill my body. But God is it, more powerful, and as we're gonna see later, um, you know, if you if you read the account later, those that were involved in this idolatry, they were all killed, all of them, not one survived. So, um, Aaron. Next one, it was some Jews fearing uh, the rulers, so they even came to Christ. How about someone can read that one for us? John twelve. Uh, this is in the New Testament. John twelve forty two and forty three. So these are people of prominence, right? They're chief rulers. They came. They, be, they came to believe in Christ, but they were afraid that were going to be put out of the synagogue by the Pharisees. Um, and, and God opens the window because we didn't, under, you know, from the outside they just they were just afraid of them, but why? What was really going on? They loved the praise of the people. They wanted to be seen as in high regard. That's why they were caving into that pressure. All right, another one here, and I will uh, actually skip skip Peter right now for now. It was. Um, s- Saul, let me see if I can find because I have my notes is slightly different than yours that I updated. First um, Samuel 18, um, and let's let this is one where that fear of men really became extremely irrational. First Samuel 18, Samuel is afraid of uh, David and his progress, right? Verse Samuel chapter 18, and we're starting there on verse eight. What does it say there? It says, then Saul became very angry for this um, because people were singing the praises of David, right? Saul was slaying his thousands, but David, his ten of thousands. Now, I am the king. I'm supposed to have more praise, and here we have it. This guy, this young guy, is getting more praise than I am. And verse eight is what does it say? Then Saul became very angry for this um, for this saying displeased him, and he said, "They have ascribed to David ten thousand, but to me they ascribed ten of ta- ten uh, just thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom?" Saul so looked at David with suspicion on that day on, so. Uh, the, this book, Suspicion on uh, the Paranoid Thinking, really describes on uh, that thinking evil thoughts about someone else and expecting the worst and, and being suspicious. Are they going to harm me? Are they going to do this? Now it came about the next day that an evil spirit from the Lord came mightily upon Saul and he, he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp in his hand as usual, as a spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David escaped from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid. This is the key thing I want you to pay attention. He was afraid of David. You think, well, he's a murderer. He's, not he's angry at him. He's jealous at him. No, he's afraid of him. If I can't, I can't have what I want from this person, if I can't have... Uh, What I need, I think I need. I and I, you know, I'm afraid how they can attack me. I'm gonna. What is the best um, defense? Right, is the attack. That's his thinking there. I'm gonna attack. Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as the commander of the thousand. Then, um, fifteen. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. Again, he was afraid of him. The fear of man coming out there again. Let's um, skip all the way to verse 29. Verse 29. Then Saul was even more afraid of David because Saul was David's enemy continually. So it, it takes a hold on someone when they keep giving in into that fear of man. Um, I'm going to go back now to Peter's example, because I think we are very, very familiar, and it will be not just, uh, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't mention Peter. We're not going to read all the passages, but you will remember that Peter denied the Lord three times, and one of them was in front of a slave girl that didn't have any, really no no power to um arrest him or which is a simpler thing i just i just don't want to be looked at wrong or associated or or there's a risk for my life the harm that people can bring it to me so he denied the lord three times and then we have that sweet moment where the lord comes and restores him in john 21 forgives him for his denial for his fear of man uh, he has the Holy Spirit now, and he's preaching boldly in the book of Acts. So it, it, it is kind of a, an amazing thing that the Lord saves him, changes that fear, ta- takes away that fear, and now he's preaching boldly because of the Holy Spirit. And then Galatians, um, Paul is rebuking him for caving into fear of men again. So I, I put Peter's example there because that should really encourage us. It reminds us that this sin is not uncommon and even plagues an apostle. An apostle of God struggled with it. It shows that a Christian's growth is progressive. Amid their ups and downs, often succeeding, but sometimes succumbing, they have hope that God's Spirit will help them to revere Christ more than to revere people. All right. Now, before we go to the next section here, I, I want to hear some of your thoughts. Um, have you seen these passages um, on, this, on, on that light? Um, do you have any questions on other biblical examples of people that, uh, you're like, well, you know, I think there was a lot of fear of man when this was happening. Any comments, observations, questions at this point? hmm yeah, Abraham, um, Kathy reminds us of Abraham lying, saying that his wife uh, was not his wife. <laughs> he was a sister, so it was a, half of, a half-truth, right? Uh, it's an evidence, like, you're not telling the whole truth uh, because he was afraid of being killed, so. Uh, the heart of fearing people, Jeremiah 17. I read this passage a few times. Uh, weeks ago when I was preaching about idolatry right and this is really is what at the heart of the fear of of man it is idolatry really you're you're putting your trust or your fear on someone else other than God Um, and I I believe that the only, the only way, really, for people to be able to change with this, this sin in particular is until they figure out who they're afraid of and what, what is actually their fear or where their trust is and why is it so important, that person is so important to them. Until they get to that point of realizing that and how that offends the Lord and how God is the one to be in that place, that won't change. So, um, Jeremiah 17. You, re, you will remember um, that the sin of the people of Israel was written with a diamond en- engraved upon the tablet of their heart. Um, and then he describes these two, t- two, two types of people, really. Um, on verse five, thus as the Lord curses a man who trusts in mankind and makes the flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Many a times, other people are our strength. They're the ones that we run to, and and we lose that person. We have important person in our life, we're just devastated when they go away, or we lose them. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and he will not see when prosperity comes. So, it it will be a lonely person. They feel lonely even though they might have other people in their in their lives. It's a desert. It will feel a, a barren life. And I think that's the part it, for me when I was struggling with this. Like, well, wow, I have so many people around me. Yeah, I feel lonely. What what is the deal with this? <laughs> it it was because I was putting too much trust in people. And he will not see prosperity when it comes. Even, it, it, and we, we might think, well, just because their life is really hard. No, it's even when prosperity comes, they won't see it. But when la, uh, we'll live in a stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. then we have the contrast. But it, it, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by water, that extend its roots by the stream, and you will not fear when the heat comes, but it, its leaves will be green, and you will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit, both in the prosperity time, prosperous times and the difficult times. This person will thrive, because their trust is in the Lord. We don't know our hearts. The heart is deceitful more than everything else, anything else, and is desperately seek who can understand it. The answer? The Lord. Verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, according to results of his deeds. So the God who is a judge, the God who knows our hearts, he can search our hearts. That's why David prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my thoughts, know what is going on within me. Why am I so distraught? Because this person didn't treat me well. Why am I so distraught? Because they don't love me, they don't care for me. Why I was rejected? All right, let's go to our notes here. People fear specific individuals or groups whose approval they crave or disapproval they avoid. Apart from extreme cra- cases, we rarely fear every person at all time. I had a counselor who was so interesting. He said, "He um, was oh, I, I fear people all the time. I." he, he, he tended to exaggerate a lot of, of what was going on. And then he wrote on his, on his questionnaire I gave, you know, and I love this guy dearly now, it's, a, it's so funny. But he used to really exaggerate things. Oh, I, I'm always concerned what people are thinking about me. I'm always worried about what they're thinking about me. Well, are you worried about what Joe McCarthy is thinking about you? Like, no. Are you worried about what the president is thinking about you? No. So it's not everybody, is it? Like oh no it is not. Well are you are you worried about what I'm thinking right now? Like no I'm not. But, oh maybe I am. So he, it was just so much. He he thought you know every person that I come in contact with I'm afraid of I'm I'm afraid what they're thinking of me what they're looking at they looking at my nose are they looking they look at my hat or they're just so consumed with, with that concern and worry. Um, and and eventually I just like well let, let's let's put truth into this. Hold on, you're not hearing what people think about you all the time. That's not true. So let, let's put some truth into what in these statements. Where are the people that really bother you that you, you're ultimately concerned? Well, I'm really concerned about what my friends will think about me and my ex-girlfriend. Oh, okay. Now, now it's not just everybody. It's, it's just this group of people here that you're afraid of. Well, I'm also afraid of my dad and what he, he thinks about. Uh, my, you know, my, my job situation, and oh, okay. So it's it, it's a specific group of people. It's not everyone. The councilor's next one says the counselor's desire is inordinate and beyond the legitimate desire to be approved or not disapproved. So the desire becomes ruling desires. Is something we, we want to affirm that there is a legitimate desire. You know, a, a husband wants his wife uh, love and affection. A wife wants her husband's love and affection. Um, It's it's just part of who we are. We want to be in a relationship where there is reciprocity, right? Uh, But then when we make that reciprocity, a a demand, I need to have it. And if I don't have it, I'm not going to respond in a way that I ought to respond. So desires become ruling desires. We Remember James 4, where does come fights among you? from the desires from your heart, demands and needs others must meet. Since the fine line runs through every heart, you will often see expressions of the fear of people in many um, counseling situations, even when uh, it is not the main presenting problem, as I mentioned. So the next one says, the inordinate desire that enslaves people, it brings bondage and misery and sadness. I think Jeremiah 17 really describes the life of a person that fears people. They're never content. Because man will fail us. People disappoint us. They're just man. God is the only one that doesn't disappoint us. It paralyzes decision-making. It produces unwise choices um, because you're you're doing something to, to have people's approval not only not not do what most pleases god but over it keeps relationships shallow it tempts us to uh, tempt us to flatter rather than to use honesty we tend to say what we think others want to hear not what they need to hear instead of wisely confronting others when they need we tolerate unrighteousness as it urges in fact when some Something other than Jesus rules my heart. Everyone in my world becomes either an ally helping me to gain my goal or an adversary blocking me. I think this says a lot. Everyone in my world becomes either my ally helping me to get my goal or an adversary blocking me. So they're always thinking, oh, this, one, this person is after me. Why? Because they're not getting, giving me what I want. If I live for your approval, then you are my ally when you like me, until you inevitably fail me, or my adversary, when they don't, when you don't. When you became, become my adversary, I am very quick to write you out of my life. Right? I just I don't want to talk to that person anymore. That's how they respond. Then evil suspicions. That's a, it's a slightly different. Not everyone has those. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.4 speaks of, uh, in the last days, describing that people have those evil suspicions. Matthew 9.4, evil thoughts. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, I know your evil thoughts, where you're conjecturing in your mind. So It expresses the idea of secretly thinking, conjecturing wicked and malicious things about others or believing the worst about others. That's what Saul was really going on. He was thinking the worst thing about David. He wants to get the throne. He's going to kill me. I'm afraid of him. He wants my success. He wants my fame. He wants my throne. Judging others or imputing evil motives. You're suspicious of that people are especially prone to uh, imputing to those. They distrust all manner of simple thoughts and motives. Only God can judge the motives of another. 1 right? Samuel talks about only he knows our hearts. But oftentimes we... We, we read a situation and we're thinking the worst motive possible attributed to that situation. Pride. Pride is very, it touches every area. For us, the men that are in the men's Bible study will see this, but pride is an area that touches every area, really. And for those that fear people, um, they think I'm more special. They, they don't say that out loud than I really am. So the paranoid or suspicious people tend to believe that they are extraordinary. There is something about them that sets them apart from most everyone else. They believe that they are so special that they, come be, they, can, they become the targets of certain individuals. They have a false reasoning that doesn't conform to reality and they tend to exaggerate the threat of actual danger. So there's one guy I counseled that was, you know, I fear everyone, what people are thinking about me. Uh, and I was like, well, what were you afraid of? That when and you, you get in a, in, a, in a place, well, I'm afraid that they're going to be uh, judging me for being uh, a nationalist. And then I was like, well, but you are wearing a mega hat and you're. It was all over them. Like, he, it, it would be his clothing, everything, very to draw the attention. Like, well, I don't, I don't want to draw the attention. I'm like, really? It, is this how how most people dress you think most people do no, I, why, are you, why are you wearing that hat then like, well, I just want to make a statement oh you are trying to make a statement you want to be noticed for what you believe so it, you see the contradiction it, it's, it's really at the center of, of, of them I am important I, I need to get this they're not treating me kindly as they should it's really at the heart to say I, I'm more important and I'm not thinking of the best interests of the other people. So, all right, how then we change? How do we go away from that way of thinking to a way of thinking that glorifies God? Now, unlike the secular reasoning that encourages people to cultivate a better self-esteem, that's not what they counsel, right, and to learn putting boundaries, keen in on that word. That's not, that's not a simple. It's a major thing for them. You put boundaries. So I'm not going to have contact with this person in my family that we have difficult relationships. I'm going to avoid them at all times. That's what, that is very psychologized. Instead of loving people, I'm going to keep them away from me because I don't want to be hurt. And I don't care what God says about me loving others as I love myself. The focus for the believer is ultimately to glorify God by fearing the Lord and loving others properly. Right? So I give you a few examples here on how to change um, the mind. I got from the a little book on Suspicious. So when, here's some way of thinking. I wonder how this person intends to hurt me. I wonder what a loving person would do. I wonder what he needs. his needs are. Suspicious thinking. I'd better not let him get too close to me. Or how would you think? Maybe I can be a good influence on this person instead. I wonder what he meant by that. There's a hint of sarcasm in his voice and a contemptuous look in his face while he was speaking. What a biblical reasoning would do. I'm not trying to... I'm, i not going to try to prematurely judge the inflection of his voice or the look on his face. I will take his words at face value for now and believe the best about his motives. Love believes all things, right? It does not um, think evil of the other person. I've got to keep him from hiding out about my problem, finding out about my problems, where he will use them against me how you would think about it biblically? I wonder if he has any problem that I can help him solve with God's way. Not self centered, other centered. How can I love this person instead of how to protect my, thinking how I protect myself? I've got to figure out how to control him before he does something to harm me. Biblical response I am not, the, my, it's not my job to control him. That's God's job. And he can do that better than I am. We think that, here's the, 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 the stupid thing that we, we think about. We think we can control people, either by manipulating them, giving them what they want so we can get what we want from them, but ultimately we really can't. Even if you did everything to please that person, their response and their heart might not respond the way you want it. God ultimately is the one in control of, of how people think and how they respond to things. Besides, there are more important things God wants me to do with my time than wasting it with futile, futile attempts to control people. I'll let you read the other ones at home, but you get the gist of it. You have to really identify what is, what is going on through their mind. What is, what is their fear? What is that they're uh, wanting? What is the trust that they're depositing in people? Why they're so dependent on relationships, they keep going from one to another, to another, to another. Or they are always devastated when people don't treat them as they think they should. Dwell in the Lord's... Um, then the affections, the renewing affections. We, let, we read this last week, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. But even on the cases of rejection, of abandonment, you know, we ought to, com- to comfort ourselves that God is the strength of our hearts. Uh, Psalm 27, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, to meditate on His temple. God will protect me. And um, as he's praying here, uh, verse eight, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me, O oh God, in my salvation. This is the person that you should be fearful of losing his companion. This is the one person that you should be concerned, am I pleasing him? Because this is what I was created for, was to please him. And then um, verse 10, I think it's so encouraging. it says, For my, mother and my, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. So even in the most close relationships, when you lose them, God is still with you. He will never leave or forsake you or never abandon you. That should encourage us. Really, because he's, if he created everyone in this whole world, and he's on my side, um, I, I really like nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, there's a song that I um, really appreciate. You can look it up later. Um, Is I shall not want. It it is really talking about I. I find all my um, comfort and my affirmation and my approval in the Lord. I do not want to be slave of these other minor loves. Then how then we we change um, in terms of behavior? You got to change your thinking. You got to change your affections. But you also change in terms of behavior. So I took these from our textbook. Um, one, it has to do more with the putting away, putting off the sin. You confess any sins they need you, uh, repent of them and seek to please and fear God more than anyone else. And um, I put it in the back page of your notes. Um, a little bit of a definition there where you can read some of these passages. Um, Remember that John talks about us, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and we ought to confess uh, whenever. And confessing there, it, it is not just, you, you, I, I want to get rid of this, you, you call sin for what it is. Homologeto, um, the word in, in Greek for confessing is, you say the same thing. There are those who will deny sin altogether, I don't have any sin. But there are those who deny I have no specific sin. And I think the part of it is when we really bring to the realization these are the specific ways that I have been sinning against God. So if you look in there, um, you confess them what, what, for what they are. If I'm focusing on I'm being distracted or by trouble I might face in the future rather than on what God expects me to do in the present, that is anxiety. I should repent of it. Evil suspicion surmising or conjecturing things about others in a pejorative way based on a scant evidence or unwilling, uh, a willingness to believe such unsubstantiated suppositions and conjectures. Right? Maybe you, you can help a person say, well, let's put a, a reality chart here. What is actually factual? What are the facts? And write down your suspicions. Do they match? The, are there are, are any basis for those suspicions? Or no? If they're not, you know, these are evil suspicions. Because they're not based on truth. Distrusting God. You, you call it for what it is. I am not believing that God is going to do what he said he would do. Sinful jealousy, judging motives, unrighteous judgment, sinful fear, or not believing the best about others. So you call for what it is. It is sufficient to prize God's acceptances of, of counselees about other people above him. So encourage them to pray over, meditate on, and personalize these gospel saturated passages. Idolatry must be uprooted and exposed before God's uh, wiser and light. We must exalt God and the throne people. The Lord tolerates no rivals. God's smile becomes become the believer's greatest delight and for and he's found their greatest disappointment. So I ask people to study the, these passages on uh, fear of man and how that displeases the Lord. And then, um, secondly, on the putting on, you're properly loving those who they have feared or those who have rejected them with a renewed repentance. What are some practical ways that I can love this, pe- this person if they have rejected me, if they, have, they, they harmed me? Well, Romans 12 talks about pain, Paying no one evil for evil, but paying evil with the good. I'm going to overwhelm them doing good. And I'm going to do this not on my own strength. I'm going to do this with God's strength. All right, I just want to open for some questions now. It was a long um, time talking, so um, any questions, observations? Um, Again, this is just like a, really broad view of this issue. There's so much that can be said about it. Um, Any questions? Comments? Kathy? Because, one, they have a Yeah, Kathy is talking about uh, an important element here on, in all of this, really, is to have a teachable heart and, and attitude in uh, all of that. Um, you know, as a personal testimony, when I first started seeing this uh, fear of people, um, you know, I was a teenager. Uh, I was really dorky. <laughs> um, and... Um, I remember people, I, you know, I will be, I would be scared of how people are watching me, how I eat, how I, uh, I walk, and I'm so skinny. They're gonna be looking at my legs. They're gonna meet me. <laughs> you know, I, I was just overly concerned with how people thought about me, and then I, I was also very um, dependent on other, uh, on friendships. Why, if people didn't invite me for certain events, or, how, and I was like, oh, they don't like me, or it's just. Overly concerned. Well, oh, what are going to think about me if I say this? Well, maybe they don't like me more anymore. Um, and uh, it, and it becomes exhausting for those living around you because they can't. They cannot be God for you. It, it's overwhelming. And I had people that approached me. They they haven't studied counseling. They haven't <laughs> read some of these books. But it's like Ronaldo. I think they're, it, the problem is not the people around you. It, and maybe it's you. And I was like, no, it's not, it is not. And i fighting it. It wasn't until the Lord really humbled me to see, well, um, it, it is you. It's not so and so. It's not what they have done to you. Um, yes, I'm not taken away from your, you know, abuse or circumstances where people are, you know, bullying others. They're, it's suffering. But God still holds us accountable on how we respond to suffering. And the moment that I realized that fearing God more than people, it it was just liberating. You know that I had that teachable heart, and that was all the Lord's work. It it takes time to uproot some of these things. You know, because idols are hard. You 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 prop them down, and then they're right back up. We we just have to to be humble to let the Lord in and, um, and really enjoy him. I think that was the key, is learning to, you know, yes, I didn't, I, I wasn't invited for this, but can I delight in the Lord and for all the blessings that he has given me in this life? Yes, this, this didn't work out. This relationship didn't work out. Can I find contentment and joy in the Lord? So, all right, any questions and other observations? Right? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we uh, come before you because you have given us great promises that you will not leave us or abandon us and you never disappoint us. Lord, everything that you have promised, you will. Either you already have given it to us or will give us give it to us in the future. May we be delight in you. May we find comfort. As David said, even if my close relationships, as my father and mother abandon me, you will not let me down. You will take me in. I pray, Father, that you would open um, the eyes of my brothers and sisters here today. May they start looking for these patterns of... Um, in their relationships, and even maybe able to help people struggling with this extreme anxiety in social events or talking to others. May they find comfort in a path for change through Christ for your glory. May you teach us, Lord, to love you above everything else and to love others as we love ourselves. In your name we pray, amen.